Okay, well, I think we'll make a start. Thanks so much uh, for being with us this morning. Uh, my name's Stu. I'm a pastor of Grace Church Exeter. And in terms of commission, um, I'm involved with some of the work we're doing in discipleship. And one of the things that we're very keen to do is ask questions around how we disciple people well, not only from a church perspective, but from a context perspective. In other words, what does it look like for a Christian to work in healthcare today? What are the challenges that you face on a day-to-day basis? What does it look like for you to be filled with faith and the Spirit of God? What is it like for you to be involved with the NHS over the next 10 to 15 years from a Christian perspective? Uh, as well as we're looking at... Um, There's a network around the business world that we're looking to connect with and try and have some influence into commission, as well as doing some work around a potential arts network asking a similar kinds of questions. So thanks so much for being here today. Um, We're going to spend a little bit of time, a very short, really brief theological reflection, and then Chris is going to have some people uh, to interview around their experience within the sector. We are kind of imposters today. We're waving a flag to rally you together, uh, but we'd really like to put the ball in your court, and so there's going to be very much a work shop feel with the question around what could we create together across commission to support one another within the healthcare uh, in the future as Christians together. So that's kind of our aim for this session. Uh, I trust it will be stimulating and fruitful and I hope that you're able to, with some degree of sleep last night, uh, able to participate creatively uh, for the ongoing work that we're committed to together. Uh, So all that being said, um, I'm going to hand to Chris who's going to pray for us and then I'll uh, lead you through a brief reflection before I hand back to Chris again. So Chris, why don't you? Thank you, Stu. Short wire. Okay, let's uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your kingdom is multifaceted. Lord, we thank you that you have set us in your kingdom to do really important works for you, uh, good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do, Father. And we want to give you our experience, our insights, our passion for the health sector that we work in and ask you to do something amazing with it, Lord. We give you our five loaves and two fishes and say, Father, would you multiply what we can do? Would you multiply my experience, would you multiply my um, exposure to uh, things that have gone on in my professional life and just do some amazing things with that, Father. So I pray that you will bless this time together. You will, by your spirit, enable us to do so much more together than we could do on our own. We just thank you that we have your spirit with us. Thank you that he inspires and motivates us. And we just uh, submit ourselves now to your leadership in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, first, and I think it's appropriate just to start by saying uh, thank you uh, as a person uh, for all the stuff that you have done uh, within the healthcare in our nation. I'm truly grateful. I think Tim mentioned it this morning uh, as he was speaking, just the wonder of the health service uh, in our nation. And I think often you come to church and we talk about the service and we talk about the rotors and we really draw you into all the life of the church, which I don't think is a bad thing. But I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. I deeply appreciate it. As a dad, when my uh, two-year-old overdosed on cow pole this year and she was, uh, you know, arms wrapped around me and they were taking bloods and we were in that space, I just thought, gosh, in these moments where you really need somebody, it's a healthcare profession often is the person who is right there with you. Uh, as a son, um, so my dad and my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law have all had cancers removed um, over the last 18 months or so, and so I stand as someone who's profoundly grateful for the intervention that people like you uh, provide. And uh, lastly, as a man, I'm uh, very grateful. I think today, um, I hope you don't mind me saying as we share this intimate moment together, I had a very sensitive operation on Saturday morning. And uh, as I lay back on the table with this moment of trust and responsibility, I actually thought of you lot. Um, (laughs) 
and and whilst I <laughs> and whilst I know you may or may not be involved in procedures like that, uh, I actually felt the moment of like you're just entrusting your body to someone else. Like I don't know, I don't know what they're doing. I don't want to know what they're doing, but I hope they do know what they're doing. <laughs> And if they know what they're doing and they treat me like a human being and they respect my dignity in moments of vulnerability like that, it's a huge gift. It's a huge gift. And I think as Christians, we're trying to seek to love God and love our neighbor. It's a very special arena in which you inhabit on a daily basis to love your God and to love your neighbors in moments of profound vulnerability, uh, whether slightly lighthearted like my own or maybe more serious ones. So really a deep thank you um, for all that you do. I, as a pastor, I have so many questions around this area kind of for you and, and with you. Uh, I look at many healthcare professionals, and thanks to a few Grace Churches in here this morning, I look at you and I think, how do you sustain a life of faith? How do you fill your head and heart with the wonder of this God that we serve on a daily basis? How do you survive the shift work? How do you survive the pressure? How do you walk with the emotional toll of the victories and losses in the profession? How do you cope with the uh, resources and the limitations that you embrace on a daily basis? How do you make these decisions and carry on living a life of joy? How do we ensure that we fuel you with the very life of God so that you are indeed salt and light in the real sharp edges of life that you guys are in very often. I wonder how you live filled with the Holy Spirit in a system that seems to be now presupposing a kind of secular worldview in that it's a closed system. We are the biggest actors on the stage. We are the biggest characters in the story. And so the hope is in progress and professionalism and technology. How do you conduct yourself if those people who actually believe in an open system, a God who can intervene and a God who in the end will have a final say? What difference does that make for you? How does that change the way that you approach creativity and innovation? What limits does that put in for you? What possibilities does that open for you that's different to those who live in a closed universe? I wonder what it's going to look like for us over the next 10 to 20 years in the NHS. I wonder around social justice issues. God's heart and preference for the poor seems to be reflected in a system that gives healthcare free at the point of need. So we queue rather than pay which I think is a beautiful thing in our nation. I wonder what will happen in the future as the political landscape changes. I wonder what Christians will do in that picture as it changes over the next, next 10 to 15 years. And therefore, I wonder with the kind of small individual questions, as well as the cultural questions, as well as the kind of systemic questions, I wonder what the Lord might ask us to do in a group of churches like Commission, which spans across the nation and the nations. And I wonder what would happen if we come together in prayer, seeking after his heart, open to theology, open to experiences to learn together. I wonder what he might call us to do to make a significant difference for his kingdom, which I guess is why I'm here. I think it's why Chris is here, and I guess that's why you're here at least to some degree. So for this morning, I'm just going to submit to you a very a very um, quick, succinct theological reflection. It's uh, It's an insight which is not complex, but I think it's transformative from an author called uh, Bob Cotillo in his book Pursuing Health in an Anxious Age, where he basically asks the question, why is it that we have more influence than ever over the state of our health, but our anxiety levels and our worry is going up? Why is it that though we have more influence than ever over our health, our anxiety and our worry is basically going up, which I think is a good question. And one of the things that he says, uh, and it's a theme within his book, which I trust is, a, again, just a simple Christian observation, is he puts forward this idea that Christians need to get hold of and work within that health 
is a gift and not a possession. Health is a gift and not a possession. And he's arguing that the culture we live in today is saying that health is a possession, not a gift. And let me just give you a couple of reasons as to why this might be significant. If health is a, posi- is, if health is a possession, if your health is your possession, if the patients you work with or the teams that you manage or the budgets that you align, if health is a possession, then you're talking about something that people own like money or a car or a house. You own your health like a material good that you manage for your own happiness. Health is a possession which therefore I can hold on to or conversely I might lose. So when we, uh, we enjoyed the birth of our fourth child, which perhaps is why surgery was very appropriate for me, um, on the way through, we had the scans, of course, which uh, many of you will have experienced or been involved with them. And of course, they, they put before you all the things that can go wrong when new life comes into the world. And so we have this acceleration of healthcare and intervention, but we also have this presentation of all the eventualities that can go wrong, that we want to protect you from all those things because your health and your happiness and your life matter, and we want to protect you from the threat of it going wrong. And so suddenly, in a moment, that should be with profound joy. Often, um, couples today find themselves with a sense of deep angst going into these situations that should be a celebration of human life and possibility and instead you're brought into a defensive mode of all the things that can go wrong as we substitute this idea of health being a gift for it being a possession and something that we think we can control and try and eradicate all the vulnerabilities of our experiences. If health is a possession that I own and want to seek to control, then healthcare professionals become either my heroes or they become my villains. Because if I, it's a possession that I can own, you can help me take hold of and keep my possession, you're my hero because you enable me to live a happy life. But if you can't, you're a villain because you're taking from me what I deserve to have. And therefore, healthcare professionals either get lifted up or they get cast aside as irrelevant. I don't know if you saw the recent report that came out. I just checked with a healthcare professional in my church this idea of diva doctors. Did you read it? I read it in The Guardian online. I have to confess I've not read the exact thing, but this idea of culture within the healthcare profession is so hierarchical that you've got diva doctors or surgeons speaking to anaesthetists and admin staff in ways which are quite frankly described as bullying uh, in the newspaper. If uh, If health is a possession and you're my hero, then the possibility of pride and arrogance even within the culture that distributes it is possible to run rife and seems to be at least to some degree in the UK. And if health is a possession, and that's the dominant narrative that we have in the secular worldview, then in the end, in the end, we're operating in a story which ends in sadness every single time. If health is my possession that I hold on to for my own personal happiness, it ends in sadness and loss every single time. And so Bob Cotillo puts this idea forward in his book, Pursuing Health in an Anxious Anxious Age, that health is not a possession. It's not something you own. It's a gift that's been given to you to nurture. It's a gift that's been given to you to nurture. You might cite Genesis 1 as God breathes life into the first human beings. You might cite the psalmist who talks about the numbers of his life being named and counted. You might cite Colossians, which claims that God sustains the universe in this very moment. But anywhere you look within the Christian faith, health is not something we own. It's something that's been given to us. If, if health is a gift and not a possession, it points to a purpose beyond itself. In other words, your measure of health 
is your opportunity to point to something and someone beyond yourself. Therefore, in this crazy world that we live in with various levels of health, ability, disability, pain, freedom, limit, we steward what we have, not to find happiness, but to point to someone beyond our circumstances. That was painful for me. Was everyone else all right? <laughs> uh, Bob gives an example, Bob Cotillo gives an example of a cancer patient who's been given only 12 months to live, and in the fear to hold on to his health, he, uh, he endures the most horrific of treatments, which leads to persistent vomiting, nausea, illness, and though his family and friends were close to him, they could not get near him due to the constant infections that he had. If health is a possession that I'm going to give everything to hold on to, you might end up losing your humanity in such a quest. And Bob Cotillo puts this idea forward that's saying, actually, in the moment when you don't fear death, and when life is a gift, actually, you can embrace an earlier death sometimes and embrace those around you and refuse the medical care and enjoy another six months with the friends and family that otherwise would have been taken from you. I know that examples like this are grey, but that's why you're here, right? Because you live in the grey. And it's those kinds of questions, it's this kind of interaction of faith as a and, and health, possession or gift that affect real decisions and real lives that you make on a daily basis. If health is a gift and not a possession, then you are people, as healthcare professionals, who help others steward and nurture the gift they have. You are neither the hero nor the villain. You are neither the hero nor the villain. It does not all rest on your shoulders. You can take a day off. It does not all rest on your shoulders. You can rest. It doesn't all rest on your shoulders. You can go home and say, I did all I could and I can leave the rest of it, not only in the hands of the profession or even my conscience, but in the hands of the God who you serve. Because in your story, you're not the biggest character. You're not the biggest character. You're neither the hero nor are you the villain. When it goes wrong, you're not the villain. It's not about you. In our story, if health is a gift and not a possession, we point to somebody else, a bigger character. And in our story... In our story, it's not a story that in the end we sadly lose. In our story, it's a story in the end that Jesus is victorious in. And whilst we see and experience and face death regularly, we do it with one who's gone out the other side and has conquered the grave and has life for you and I the other side of it, which is transformative in every way. In every way. And so I conclude by just asking the question for us, what would it look like for us as a group and for Christians within the world of healthcare to move from, and I don't know where you are on this, if your sanctification is like mine, you might find yourself a little bit up and down, but from people who are controlled by this secular cultural narrative of heroism, heroism, stress, burden, pursuit of health, and possessiveness around it, to those who are liberated into a gospel narrative, using gifts to be creative around stewardship, to take risks, to even risk your own health at times, not to be held onto, but to be given away, to be stewarded and used for the benefit of others, trusting that the God who made you is with you, the God who's gifted you health, has given you the proportion of what, of what you need to fulfill your calling and will lead you through the biggest challenges to health that you'll ever face and will lead you out the other side. And so what would it look like for us, what would it look like for you if the leadership of Christ was to permeate and influence every decision that you made, not only on a Sunday, 
for every day. And so that being said, um, I hope that was helpful for you. Again, just maybe one little ingredient uh, into this whole mixture for you. Uh, always as a pastor speaking into your world, I feel a little bit nervous, so do be generous. I hope there's at least something in that that was provocative and stimulating for you. I'm going to pray and then hand to Chris, who's going to uh, lead us through this next part of this seminar. Lord, again, I just want to thank you for these amazing people in this room. Thank you for the gift of health that we enjoy right now and that my friends here work to nurture and extend and to maximize every day. Thank you so much for this beautiful gift. Lord, I pray for liberty and creativity and a sense of your leading as we really adjust our worldview again, put you at the center and work with all of these implications for ourselves and for the communities we're in and for our nation at this time. So I pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for your ears. Thank you, Stu. That was great. Um, Stu mentioned the word imposter earlier. I feel that very deeply, imposter syndrome. I'm not in any way a clinician. Uh, I'm a consultant, but of the management kind. Boo. Okay, but I'm an independent management consultant, so I'm not as bad as some of the other guys are. But part, <laughs> part of what I do is to work with groups of professionals across any sector, but quite a lot with the health service. Um, so in the last year, I've had the privilege of working with the Royal College of Surgeons, um, with um, a bunch of human factors experts, with a group of practice nurses, and with the Health Foundation, all who've said, we're doing the same thing across uh, the UK, but we're not good at sharing what we do. We're not good at getting the benefit and the, the power that comes with a group of people who can share a bit more knowledge and insight and reach out and ask for help from each other. So part of what I do is help groups to build networks that reach cut across geographies and reach into professions and strengthen what they do. Okay, So that's why I guess Stu asked me if I would get involved um, in this the launch of one of the first of what hopefully will become several um, commission communities or networks. Um, and today I thought it was really important to get some people who know what they're talking about sharing some stories before we do something a little bit like a workshop session together, uh, which won't be like one of those awful focus groups that you thought you'd left behind for a few days. It'll be a, a, group, a, a session where we focus on the kingdom and a session where you know, we make the most of, of our experience together. But firstly, I'm going to invite three people just to share a bit about what their role is within a health or mental health or care sector, and also where do they see that intersection Stu spoke about between their faith and their work, which could be stories of triumph or could be stories of, of difficulty and challenge and just issues that we're wrestling with. So I'm going to start with Eliz from uh, my church in Ascot. Eliz is going to have to disappear straight away because she's working on Commission News. So thank you for stringing out for us, Eliz. So first question, Eliz, for you is tell me a bit about your role. What is it that you do? Um, so I work for a Christian charity where I live called East to West, um, and we work across schools um, in the area, but we've also just launched a project in a hospital, um, which I lead, um, where we send groups of volunteers in um, on a Sunday and a Monday evening and hoping to grow, also a bit of daytime stuff as well. And we basically, we're there to sit with those who are coming in with self-harm or suicide um, or even anxiety and anger and stuff like that, kind of mental health things. And we just, we basically, we're not healthcare professionals, but we just sit with them and we chat to them um, and we interact with the nurses and the doctors who are working with them and the CAMS professionals. Um, and we, we're like advocates for them, that's the whole thing. Um, so we're someone also for their parents to talk to because in that moment of kind of crisis where they're, um, they may have like overdosed often um, and 
their parents are just broken, because you would be, wouldn't you? Um, and so there's often two volunteers. So one of us will take off the parent, one of us will just sit with the young person. But, but it's really just an opportunity for them to um, just share their heart. They're often very, very open. Um, they often just kind of pour everything out on the table. Um, and then we kind of pick through it and think, okay, what, what do you need to share with CAMS? Because they're like, how am I going to get this help and how am I going to do this? Um, and we're kind of there to just pick through that. Is there a specific example you can share with obviously bands of confidentiality or a, yeah, just to bring it to life for us a bit more? Um, ooh, one, one. Uh, so I was sat with a young, I'll do one I did this week. So I sat with a young girl on Sunday night, no, Monday night. Um, and she was there because she had self-harmed um, and she was really worried about going home um, because um, she doesn't get on very well with her mum and her brother. And uh, she's, as you talk to her, you just, um, she just unpacked all this disappointment she's got about her childhood and about what's gone on with her life. And, um, and she'd actually told her mum to leave the hospital, so her family friend was actually there with her. Um, but she was just freaking out about going home. She's like, I can't go home because I'm really worried about what I'm going to do to my mum or what I'm going to do to my brother or even what I'm going to do to myself. Um, but she was, she just really needed someone to vent to and just say, I understand. And like, that's okay. You can feel like that. Like, I understand you're disappointed. Um, and I understand that you feel like that because that's like, that's quite unfair. Um, and so we just, we chatted through with her, um, and her family friend chatted with us as well. And she was just like, what am I going to do? Um, and we don't promise anything. So I can't say to her, oh, it's fine. You can go and stay with someone else. Like you don't have to go home to your mum because actually that's social work's job. Um, but we just said, look. Tell them how you feel. Tell them what's going on. And when you sit down with Cam's tomorrow, we got her to write down um, what she wanted to share with them because she was like, oh, in situations, I freak out and I won't share it. So she kind of wrote down um, what she wanted to share with them. And, um, and yeah, we just said, it's going to be like, just do what you can. I don't know. <laughs> that's, the list. that's great. That's great. I'm going to let you run to Commission Youth now because I know you're on. That would be good. You're going to do that as well? Um, I'll give you another example of uh, a time where, because we're a Christian organisation, we are, um, we say that we're Christians, which is really cool, um, but we s we're obviously have to be really careful about not just using that. Um, but I've had some really cool conversations, actually, um, especially with older ones, um, where you're sitting there and you can't, it's almost like God's like, you can't give them anything but me right now. Like, they need, to, they need to know me. And I've had a couple of conversations where um, you're just able to say, well, look, how, how I know it's helped me in this situation or how I deal with that or where I found community and help is in church um, and in knowing God. And often, it's so surprising, they're often like, oh, I know God. Or, um, and you get to kind of share a bit of grace with them. Or I had one lady who was like, oh, I was brought up a Jehovah Witness and actually it ruined my life. <laughs> and, and we were able to just share the grace of God um, with her, which was really amazing. Thanks very much, Alice. <laughs> Pete, would you like to go next? Fantastic. So I'll, I'll ask you, you can, I'll let you flow from one thing to the other. So a bit about your role and just an experience or an example that can bring to life for us. Hi, so um, hi, my name's Pete. I'm an orthopedic trainee. So I'm a, uh, in the meeting just before, we saw the picture of that broken bone in the forearm. So I'm the person that you call when that happens, and I'm the person that kind of puts that back together in theatre. 
and sort of uh, guides the family through that and talks them through what, what we're going to do, what the risks are, and then sees them in, in the rehab period as well and recovery and um, sorts of that kind of stuff out. So that's my role, basically. That's, that's just one half of it. So there's the trauma side, but I also deal with, um, say, uh, someone who's got a knee that's been causing them more and more pain over many years, and they've got to a stage where it's really stopping them being able to do what they want to do in their life, and they come and see us. And um, we talk to them about the options, potentially like knee replacements or other options available to them. And um, yeah, as a trainee, it's sort of a, we do a six-year training program, specifically in orthopedics, and we rotate around the different areas of the body, really. So these days in the UK, surgeons are sort of shoulder-specific or knee-specific. So I spend six months doing knees and six months doing hips. And at the end of it, I choose something that I'm going to do for myself. So at the moment, I do a bit of jack-of-all-trades and do a bit of everything, gradually trying to learn how to do everything, really. Um, so those are the two main main parts of my job, and it's um it's a massive responsibility and privilege to do it. We meet people when they're at their most vulnerable often, um, and we're talking about life-changing decisions for them. Thankfully, not usually dealing with life and death, but dealing with things that completely change their quality of life. And when people come to you in the emergency department with, uh, there's a, a lady who's, say, broken her hip and um, potentially is a life-threatening condition, uh, and you're there with the family supporting them through that, explaining things. So it's a massive privilege to be there for those people at that time. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so that's basically my role. Um, it's in a hospital environment, so it's a very sociable role. Unlike if you're working in the community, it's like something you're more isolated. It's very sociable, lots of people to uh, kind of talk to about things. But also, it means you don't form sort of really close relationships with people, particularly as we move around a lot. So I've just spent 18 months working away from home in Truro, living there Monday to Friday. And now I'm back in Exeter for 18 months, but we move around a lot. Um, yeah, so that's, that's basically it, but it, it's quite s stressful as well sometimes, quite tiring. I think my record is a 53-hour shift with four hours sleep, um, and so the start on the Saturday, finish Monday lunchtime, operate all day Saturday and Sunday, operate overnight as well sometimes, and then do a ward round at the end of it all. So that's kind of, that's my personal record for, for a shift. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so it, ca it can be quite tiring and stressful. And there's a lot of stuff you're supposed to do outside of work as well. So it's not it's a it's a vocation. You know, you go home from work and um, you've got to learn. So I'm still studying. I'm still learning. Even when I finish my training, I'm still keeping up to date. So I'm still going to be studying and learning, and new techniques and things. Um, and also, as a trainee, we're expected to do audit and research and do teaching and all of that kind of stuff, management things. And that's all in off your own back mostly in your own time. And it's an expectation that you'll do that. And if you're not doing that, then your bosses are going to think this person's a bit of a slacker. And that was what I was going to say is one of the places where my faith and work kind of kind of comes into conflict. Um, yeah, so the um, so my priority is to serve God, but my colleagues' priority is to work and be the best they can be. Um, and so sometimes that comes up as a problem because actually, you know, I'm expected to work all these hours. And when I get home, I've got a family, I've got two kids, I've got friends and church and things. And I'm expected to be doing research and audit and studying and, and all that kind of stuff as part of my training. But then, on the other hand, I feel that God's put me in this place to, to help people and to be the best that I can be to help people. I need to do the studying and to get the opportunities to learn to be the best, I need to do the research and the audits so that I can get the opportunity to do fellowships and consul consultant posts in places where I can make the most difference and where I want to be and feel like it's the right place for me to be. So there's a real kind of tension there, how much is, is too much work and, and where, does, where do you draw the line? So that, that's one of the places that I find is a, a difficulty. Um, and also you don't want your colleagues to think that they know you're a Christian and, and but you're the guy that doesn't do put the extra work in because that doesn't reflect well on Christians. Um, and 
you can tell them it, the reason, but it, I think it's still, it, it doesn't necessarily look, it doesn't make them think well of them, the Christians. So it's a difficult, difficult dilemma there. So I'm still, I haven't got that right at the moment. I'm still trying to f find the balance with that. I'm hoping that when you finish training, that becomes a bit easier because you don't have to do so much. But um, yeah, we'll see. Um, and then th what I was going to say is, um, one of the things that I've recently been thinking about is I've always so w my kind of the way my faith intersects really is I um I w I tend to I pray for my patients obviously and um, when I'm about to do an operation so I'm there washing my hands I take that as my sort of four minutes which is how long we're supposed to wash our hands for to kind of uh, just have a quiet time and pray for the patient I'm about to operate on and I've noticed recently that my prayers used to be sort of uh, praying to the Lord to help guide my hands to heal this patient and and do the best that I can for them. Um, but actually, more recently, I realized that um, it kind of relates to what Stu was saying, actually, that actually God's healing these people. This is God's plan. Um, and really, it's a privilege that God's allowing me to be involved in that. He doesn't need me. Like, um, and when I go home, someone else will do it, and, and God can heal them. And actually, if you think about it from a purely biological point of view, I'm not healing people. I'm just putting things back in the right place so they can heal anyway. Um, so, I, um, so now I've kind of slightly changed how I think about it. So I'm, I'm thinking, um, I'm praying that, that God will um, use me, and that I can, and I thank Him for letting me be part of this process. Um, but with that, I think that takes off some of the the sort of uh, pressure in a way, because you have to be quite resilient in my job. Things go wrong. You sometimes do a hip replacement, and two days later or a month later, the hip dislocates. And people look at the X-ray and go, "Actually, technically, there was something I could have done slightly differently to prevent that." And um, that, that happens when you're in training, but that happens when people are consultants as well. People make mistakes. And I think by kind of realizing that actually I'm being used by God, it allows me to unburden some of that responsibility onto God. And I've, and I've found that to be quite beneficial, and it gives me the extra resilience, I think, compared to some of my colleagues where they're when things go wrong, they've got lots of pride about what they've done. And when things go badly, they feel really beaten down by things going badly that they failed. But I, I feel that being a Christian allows me to offset some of that into God. So, yeah. And John, it'd be great just to hear from you. Uh, same question. Um, what do you do? And just uh, an example of that. Hello. Um, my name's John. I'm a local GP in Devon, work in Timoth, so seaside town. I've got a nice sea view out my window, if I stand on my windowsill. Um, <laughs> And um, so yeah, I work three days a week, uh, very blessed to be in a position to be able to do that. I look after um, well, our three children in the other two days. Um, my kind of general working day, um, I probably see face-to-face, -face 26, 25 to 30 patients, um, 10 or 15 minute appointments. Um, phone calls, visits, um, on top normal days, probably kind of eight till six if I'm concentrating and nothing goes wrong. Um, if I'm not concentrating and something goes wrong, not they're not connected. <laughs> My lack of concentration on things going wrong. Um, it can be eight till eight, eight till nine on a bad day. Um, so obviously there are you know implications of kind of healthcare and letting go of kind of your work and going home, which I know I think in all sectors of healthcare is, is an issue. Um, I think in terms of how my faith 
intersect. Um, I think there were kind of two big things. So first of all, and I know speaking to kind of other doctors um, and uh, friends who are nurses um, as well that just have a real sense of calling to it. Um, and I'm sure that's true in other professions, but I think it's really true in healthcare. Um, I remember very vividly um, as a 14-year-old praying in my youth group and hearing audible voice of God saying, you're going to be a doctor. That's my plan um, for you. So that's, you know, at the time, feels quite like a burden. Still now it feels a bit of a burden, but I think it's just so reassuring just with the ups and downs of the NHS and patients and whatever's going to happen, um, then I know actually I'm where God wants me to be and he's where he's asked me to be. Um, and I think that, as Pete's saying, just gives such a resilience for me, kind of particularly with the politics. Um, I try my best to stay out of them. Um, but if you work in the NHS, you can't really get away from the local politics that are going on or the national politics and you know five-year, ten-year plans in the NHS and how that may affect patients and you know the patient care we deliver um, but also kind of working life and us as individuals in it um, so yeah so I think that's the first one just giving me a real sense of reassurance and resilience that I am where I'm meant to be in God um, and I know that is very different for lots of my kind of friends who aren't Christians who are doctors I think I'm the only person in my group of friends at medical school who never wanted to quit and same as doctors never wanted to quit um, my wife is also a GP and I think she's considered every other career under the sun um, at various times just because of the kind of hours and the, the burden of working in the NHS thinking surely opening a cake shop or a flower shop or one famous time she decided she was going to knit for a living and then worked her hourly rate per scarf was about 10p <laughs> so decided it probably wasn't a good idea um, but I think yeah I think that helps helps me I think the second time in terms of patient care where my faith in sex is just having compassion so as a GP I will see kind of cradle to grave or womb to grave I guess um, you know I've got multiple generations of families who I treat um, and the kind of complex social issues that go with that um, you know any problem from fungal toenails to cancer diagnosis um, you know I can have in a day I think the big thing though is uh, as Elise was saying just mental health so there is an epidemic at the moment in mental health particularly in young people and just having 10 minutes to try to I guess hold people metaphorically um, and to try and bring them a bit of care and compassion um, just to try and bring them a bit of Jesus at their lowest point um, I think it's such a privilege um, it's difficult it's really really challenging at times um, kind of you know 16 year olds who won't go home because they're being abused but have nowhere else to go and you just think in that moment you know 
there's nothing I can do. I'm not allowed to take them home with me. Um, but actually, Jesus can be there. And regardless of the practicalities of how those situations play out, just being able to pray for them, not with them, unfortunately, as the rules don't allow us, but pray for them um, and just try and show them something of Jesus to get them through the next days, weeks. Um, yeah, it's a real privilege. Um, and I don't think there are any particular... There are frustrations of being a Christian and not being able to pray and things, but um, I don't have many challenges, I think, with patience from it. Um, obviously, there's any work environment, there's that the kind of challenges, but yeah, no, I think patient-wise, it's just a real privilege and a blessing to be able to hopefully impact their lives on a deeper level um, because of Jesus. Very much. That's great. And just before we move into doing something uh, slightly more practical, I just wanted to read uh, just a paragraph. Rachel was the fourth person I would love to have had a chance for you to listen to. She's a hospice nurse, but she's on shift. Um, so we had a chat yesterday, and uh, here's just something from her experience, which I think would be good to share with you. She said, where do my faith and work come together? That is a difficult question. Um, there's my patient contact, and there's my team contact. I think working with people who are dying, and she sees somebody die every other day, and seeing so much illness and death so frequently can get you down. With my team, sometimes it's about keeping my head while those around me are losing theirs. My faith gives me a peace that doesn't make sense and I don't get from anywhere else. Sometimes it's just about being the person of peace in the room. And there are so many stories. We, I'm sure across this room you could all tell stories of how your faith and your work come together. Across Commission, there's probably another 500 people working in healthcare. And the principle we wanted to explore today was very much about, so what could we do with these hundreds of people, hundreds of stories, and to encourage each other, to support each other, to disciple each other better in a way that goes beyond you being the only person who's doing, um, uh, who's an orthopedic surgeon at your church, to being part of a, a much wider group across commission, and maybe even beyond commission. So for the last 20 minutes, what I'd love you to do is get involved in sharing some thoughts, some ideas, prayerfully, about what we might do. So you'll see around the room, there are four areas to go to. In front of each area, there's some post-it notes, there's some Sharpie pens, which are permanent, so be careful with them. And the four questions are, the four areas are, firstly, what is God saying? Maybe during this session, you've had a picture or a prophetic word or a verse of scripture has just been put on your heart uh, that relates to this idea of a launch of a community or network. If you've got that, Please share it, because that's where we should start, with what God is saying about this, this opportunity. Secondly, over here, an area called give and take. This is about what could I give to a network. Maybe I'm a, a practice nurse with 30 years' experience. I'm about to retire, and I would love to put back some of that experience and to, to mentor and support and disciple other nurses or other healthcare professionals. That's what I think God might be calling me to do. Or maybe you can articulate what you would love a network like this to be able to do for you and support you. So give and take is over there. Uh, over at the back corner over there, there's one called practicalities, because we can talk in theory, but how does this work in practice? Is this a set of WhatsApp groups? Is this a set of meetings on a regional basis? Is it just when we get together at the Connect Festival that we can do this? Is it an email list? What does this look like in practice? Who leads it? What kind of leadership is helpful? Um, so some great, great things around practicalities 
And finally, over there, there's this thing about, well, what are the other questions you might have about this? Somebody said the other day, is this just commissioned? Is this New Frontiers? Is this anywhere within Christendom in the UK? Where are the boundaries? How does this fit with the Christian Medical Fellowship? We don't have the answers to those questions, but if there are things we should be thinking about to make this work, then please let us know up there. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to use these four corners of the room, use the post-it notes, prayerfully consider what God is saying to you, and just help us build up the idea. And it may be that you feel convicted that actually you'd love to get involved in helping lead this, because this certainly shouldn't be led by a management consultant or a pastor. We are definitely not the right people. It may be you as a part of a small group of people would be up for stepping into this different form of leadership within the body of Christ. Enough talk. Let's pray. And then let's use, put our prayer, into our faith into works. Father, thank you for the amazing stories we've heard. Thank you for the reality of where our faith in you uh, becomes real. Thank you that you are the Gruffalo that we heard about uh, that stands behind us in every situation. And Father, we just want to pray for the potential that exists, firstly within commission, where we have a similar kind of DNA, a similar shared experience, a common language, and just an ease of access to each other. Lord, how can we take that? and multiply it so that we can be more effective, we can be better witnesses, we can operate in a better way in our workplace, Lord. So we just want to commit the next 15, 20 minutes to you, pray that you will inspire us. You are the focus of our focus group, Lord. You are the one who's given us the brains with which we might brainstorm. And we give them back to you, Father, and pray that you will speak through us and shape your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, in your own time, gravitate to a corner where you feel there's something you can write or offer. And in about 15, 20 minutes' time, we'll close the session with prayer.
Okay, well, just going to uh, draw to a formal close. I know some people are drifting as well, um, but I just th- thought I'd take a moment to, to pray. Um, and also just to say uh, thank you so much to Chris. Uh, I mean, he really is a, a, a leading light, as far as I can tell from the, the pastoral perspective, in the sort of knowledge management and, and creating networks, working with organizations such as the UN um, and other clients. So we're really privileged to have him uh, as a man, uh, firstly, as a, as a bloke, but also the skills that God's given him and for him to make them available to us is very special. And so I trust that we'll be able to make the most of it. Um, if you're interested in the leadership side of this, uh, please talk to Chris. Or if you know others who you think actually you know, they might be really good to help us shape something. We really want from an early stage to have healthcare professionals who know the Lord, mothers and fathers within the sectors to help us sort of take next steps. So I'm sure much will come out of the discussions that you've had. But please do be direct with us. Um, and help us. We will drive in the car and take people out for food if it helps, um, but do just let us know uh, people who you think would be helpful. So that being said, let me pray, and then uh, we'll close our time officially, but obviously feel free to uh, remain around and and talk to one another. So let's have a moment just before the Lord, shall we? God, we thank you so much that you love this world so much that you'd send your very only son to come and die and pay for all its sin and brokenness and invite it to reconciled life with one day a final reconciliation where health is something that which we experience in all the fullness and for now lord we want to be in tune with your spirit we want to see that in part we want to see that in every way and we want to learn how to do that every day where you've placed these wonderful people around us so we pray lord whatever you're doing here you pray we pray we would tune our ears to you and that we'd have a fruitful and fun adventure together as we pursue you in the world of healthcare. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much again for being here. Have a great afternoon. Lovely. On behalf of Chris, any any updates, please give us your email on the way out. That would be very helpful. Thank you.